0: In our continuing series of interviews with state legislators, with your host, C. Richard Archie, today we have with us Chairman John Reagan, I believe is the correct name, isn't it, sir? Yes, sir. What is your district number? What areas does it include? And did the redistricting plan impact you a great deal? My district
1: number is 33, which is most of Anderson County. That's from I-75 to the Roan County line heading southwest and yes, the redistricting did impact my district, like many counties in Tennessee, the population has grown. So geographically, my district is now smaller. I lost all of my coal mining country. I still retained Oak Ridge and Clinton, which is the county seat. Oak Ridge is the largest metropolitan area. Plus I have a number of smaller towns like Rocky Top, Edgemoor and other places like that that people listening to this interview probably are not familiar with unless they've been to this county. But population wise. I still have, within the 5%, our Constitution allows, of the, the magic number, Tennessee's population divided by 99. From that standpoint, same relative number of people, but in a smaller geographic area now.
0: How long have you been in the Tennessee General Assembly?
1: I was first elected in 2010, so I'm on my sixth term now. I had no political office before this, in fact, prior to this, I was, shall we say, just peripherally interested in politics. I voted, I contributed to to campaigns occasionally,
0: and that was it. What committee assignments do you currently have?
1: I currently chair the government operations committee in the house. And I also co-chair the joint government operations committee, which is the house and Senate. Each chamber has a government operations committee and we meet together when we are not in session for rule review and sunset provisions. Frankly, it's the most powerful committee in the general assembly. Some would argue finance might be, but I actually think the government operations is 243 executive agencies and boards come before us for a review of whether or not they're going to continue to exist. We can and do turn them down and occasionally write them out of existence. Additionally, we review audits that are done on them by the comptroller's office. These audits are both financial and performance, but most of the time, the financial audits are not really a problem. The performance audits are basically the comptroller's office going into an organization, ensuring that they are doing what they're supposed to be doing for the Tennessee taxpayer and that they're doing it well. When they come before my committee, from that standpoint, if they've got audit findings, which are basically problems that the comptroller's turned up, the first thing we do is make sure that they're going to get them fixed. If they don't get them fixed, then they start to head toward our list for dissolving them. Now, just in case someone is wondering. My committee, since I have been on it, of course, I've been on it a number of years now, but since I have been on it, we have dissolved over 20 boards and agencies from the executive branch. Some of them had outlived their mission. They had done what they were set up to do, and they were just sitting around soaking up tax dollars to keep track of them. Those were easy to get rid of. Some of them, on the other hand, were essential agencies, and those agencies, what we had to do was something we called dissolve and reconstitute. Basically, that means that we fired everybody in top management. That's a hard thing to do. Firing people is not easy. I'll be honest with you. But if the agency is not doing what it's supposed to for the taxpayers, frankly, I view it as my job as a watchdog for the taxpayer to make sure that they do that. And if it's necessary to fire the top managers, it's necessary. Needless to say, that doesn't make us real popular with the governor because he's then got to find people to fill all those empty slots, but usually the threat of that turns the agency's performance around rather quickly. We, we just have to kind of drop a hint sometimes that, Hey, you're facing this eventuality if you don't straighten it up and they usually straighten up. Now, sometimes that's not the case, but most of the time it works out. Uh, the other committees I sit on are education, I sit on every education committee in the house, except one. I don't sit on the higher education committee, but I sit on all the others to include K through 12. And I also represent Tennessee, uh, as the chairman of the national conference of state legislatures, chairman for the nuclear working group. And I represent Tennessee on the Southern States Energy Board. I also represent Tennessee on a couple of other regional agencies. There's my legislative portfolio in a nutshell.
0: GovOps is a full-time job for part-time pay, I think another legislator has told me, because y'all meet year-round, if I'm understanding that correctly. That is correct. We we do meet
1: year-round. We meet at least once a month the entire year-round. Obviously, when we're in session, we meet more often than that. Even sometimes when we're out of session, we meet more often than that. But you're right. It's a full-time job. Lest someone think I'm complaining, I'm not. I volunteer for this job. Frankly, even though it's a lot of work, I think it's important, and that keeps me motivated.
0: Very good. What legislation have you carried that impacts the right to keep and bear arms in Tennessee? Well, that's a tough question specifically right now. I've been in the legislature since 2010.
1: I have sponsored and co-sponsored a number of bills related to firearms, I hate to say this, but some of them have been defeated. They were unsuccessful. They were good bills. I thought, however, my colleagues didn't necessarily agree with me. I have sponsored some of those that did get passed, though. The biggest complaint I have with the ones that got passed was they didn't go far enough. That said, in the world of politics, it's the art of compromise. You have to be able to give up something to get something as they say. And those who oppose increased availability for firearms have powerful lobbies. It's not like you can just ignore them because they not only control votes from other members, but control is the wrong word, influence votes from other members, but they also can mount very,
0: very stiff campaigns that you have to have a lot of money to defeat sometimes to get reelected. One of my good friends in the legislature, was in the legislature, Micah Van Huss, was always a champion of the Second Amendment. Yes, he was. In fact, I co-sponsored some bills with him. It's a difficult situation when the people get their cap set to unseat you. We sorely lost a good friend when Mike was no longer allowed in the General Assembly.
1: He and I carried bills together, and frankly, I respected his positions and, and uh, opinions a
0: great deal. What does Article 1, Section 26 of the Tennessee Constitution mean to you?
1: I assume you're talking about the right to bear arms? That's correct. Well, frankly, it means the same thing that's in the the U.S. Constitution, except our state constitution has some, dare I say, complicating wording in it, like with the intent to go arm, and the legislature can regulate it with the intent to uh, reducing crime, which complicates the issue considerably in my mind, because that's the kind of thing that you have to fight when you're trying to run a bill.
0: Have you been privy to the decision by the U.S. Supreme Court in McDonald v. City of Chicago that incorporated the Second Amendment against the states through the 14th Due Process Clause? Has anybody brought that to your attention? Uh, they haven't brought it to my attention. I have read some on it. Basically what that means is that unless you're following the Second Amendment as originally intended, then your restrictions and restraints are unconstitutional. Nobody wants to take that to heart. Last time I checked, the Supreme Court of the United States was the final arbiter of all things constitutional and when they incorporated the Second Amendment against the states through the process correct. clause, then that means that that is, in fact, a civil right. The ability of the citizen who's non-criminal to keep and bear arms, that's a civil right. So hopefully, in the near future, Tennessee will lean more towards that interpretation. That's what we hope and what we strive for. Well, um, I agree with you. How do you see the upcoming legislative session with respect to the Second Amendment? Have you looked at the number of bills that are filed right now that deal with this issue? I haven't looked at all of them. I have looked at some
1: to be truthful. The, the, the ones I have looked at as, as I go through these, bear in mind, we had over a thousand bills filed right. since the January. And of course the ones that get first priority, are the ones I've written myself, the ones that get next priority on my list are the ones I'm going to have to vote on when they come to my committee. And then after that, I review the others. That said, the issue that we face in Tennessee, even for the the upcoming bill sessions, is going to be the same as I outlined earlier. That portion of our Constitution that you've mentioned has language in it that complicates us. And you mentioned the U.S. Supreme Court as the final arbiter. That's true. However, the Tennessee court system would have to also be tested. And we've been trying for years. Like I said, I've been co-sponsor and sponsor on these bills We've been trying for years to get a bill that we can get in front of one of our state courts to eventually go to the Tennessee Supreme Court and get the constitutional wording that's there, here I say, interpreted differently, if not outright excised. Because quite frankly, while the U.S. Supreme Court is the arbiter of all things constitutional U.S. Uh, Constitution, the Tennessee Supreme Court is so for the Tennessee Constitution. Now, the Supremacy Clause gives uh, U.S. law Just what it says, supremacy over state law. But until somebody challenges a specific issue in court, it gets to be difficult to say who's got the upper hand. And that's what we're kind of hoping will happen here soon is is that we get a a case in front of the Tennessee Supreme Court where they're forced to acknowledge the court case you mentioned and say that what we have in our Constitution has to be stricken and just left the right to bear arms. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. The intricacies of government, like I said, this is my first office, those intricacies are far more difficult than I ever imagined they were when I first ran for office. Government moves slowly, and that's a real frustration for me. I'm retired military, and I was in the business world for a couple of decades before I got into politics. And the speed at which government moves has been one of the major frustrations for me, because even when you've got somebody supporting you in numbers, getting it done is
0: still a challenging task in a timely fashion. What steps do you think the average TFA member could take to further the restoration of our right to arms as granted in 1796? What advice do you have for our membership?
1: First is stay in contact with your representatives. And I I don't mean just the state representatives, I mean state senators too. But frankly, the, the House of Representatives is the body closest to the people because we run for election every two years. That said, your TFA members have got to be smart about it. They've got to be aware of what the objections that are put forward are and how they can help those members like me, who support the second amendment, overcome the obstacles that are in front of us. It's a difficult task. I'm going to be honest with you, but it's one I think we can get done eventually. That said that remember our constitution was revised, I think last in 1870. Now we've had some changes to it in terms of amendments since then, but uh, the last major rewrite was 1870 and that portion of article one did not
0: change. Well, you're mirroring what I try to tell our membership that what Article 1, Section 23 of the Tennessee Constitution says that we have the right to peaceably assemble and to petition our government for redress of grievances in a peaceable manner. And it also says that we're required to instruct our elected representatives. If we don't talk to our state representatives and senators, how can they possibly know what our thoughts and wishes are? It is always my endeavor to get more interaction between the general public and the legislators and i find that to be fairly easy to do you can always email you can call the offices and you can let the legislators know what your stance is on a particular bill and i think one of the things that's important is to understand that the committees have a huge amount of power in tennessee as to whether a bill ever gets on the floor for the general group to even consider you are Absolutely right. It's absolutely necessary that we stay informed, and TFA sends out emails to let folks know what the upcoming week's bills are that are supposed to be heard. If, in fact, you see one that's of interest, then what you need to do is politely call that representative, talk to the person that answered the phone, ask them to let the representative or senator know what your thoughts are. And always keep in mind that, that person answering the phone is not the representative or the senator. I have a lot of friends who work in those positions up there, and when it gets into the heat of the battle, there's a lot of vitriol coming in on the telephones, and I try to make sure that folks know. These people that work there are just simply the filter. If you're ugly to them, they're not going to tell the representative or the senator what your thoughts were. They're going to hang up on you, and it's so always be polite. I think that's the first thing that we need to talk and listen at the same time. It's my suggestion that people do their best to contact their elected representatives, but to do it in a constructive and polite way. Excellent advice. I'll add one thing to that. I
1: suggest that your members communicate with facts and logic rather than emotion. Certainly. Uh, the, the The idea is that uh, the left, if you prefer to call them that, the liberals, whatever you want to call them, communicate with emotion. That's a powerful piece of rhetoric, but quite frankly, when it comes to making law, it's really a poor basis,
0: but they've been successful far too often. Sadly, you are correct. What we try to do is I like to tell this when I give my speeches around the state, Uh, quite my suggestion to when you first got married and you had about $20 at the end of the week, you got off work and you and your wife went to the grocery store. You picked up what you could afford off the meager dollars that you had. And when you came back to that first cheap apartment, that's all you could afford. When you turn the lights on, the cockroaches hit the wall. When you go to the legislature and you walk up and down the hall and you go and visit your representatives, you're turning the light on. You're letting them know that you're interested and that you expect them to listen to you and you want to know what their thoughts are. And then you're going to tell them how you would like for them to vote. Always do it with facts and logic and be as polite as possible. That's the constructive method, I think, that sets us apart on the side that we're on from some of the more vociferous individuals that like to scream and stand outside and holler in emotion, like you said. So I agree with you. It needs to be with fact and logic, and I think that is absolutely pertinent advice. Well, Chairman, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for taking out of your busy schedule. We are hoping to get as many of the representatives and senators to come on so that our membership can listen and hear what they've got to say. A lot of people from West Tennessee will never have a chance to speak to you directly, but we're giving an opportunity for them to hear your voice and to hear your thoughts. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity.